0: Welcome to the UIAAA connection podcast. Hometown Ticketing is proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the UIAAA connection podcast and to provide schools nationwide with the best options for digital ticketing for their events. Visit their website at hometownticketing.com to learn how they can make digital ticketing possible and simple at your school. Thank you to Hometown Ticketing for their exclusive sponsorship of the UIAA Connection podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the UIAA Connection. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter, and this is actually the first episode of season three. We are thrilled to have with us as our first guest in season three, Daryl Nance, CMAA from South Carolina. How are you, Daryl?
1: I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having yeah. me on.
0: It's, uh, it's been one of those days, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been an interesting day already, yes. <laughs> Let's begin by having you share with our audience, both in Utah and nationally, where you grew up, where you went to college, your first job, your involvement in sports, that type of a thing. Okay. Well, I grew up, uh, was actually born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina,
1: uh, for until I was about 13, I guess in eighth grade, and then we moved to South Carolina. My dad got transferred and uh, we moved down here. And so I went to high school uh, here in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, And and a a little caveat to that, to prove that we are a sports family from the get-go, my dad had to move January 15th. His job, they told him, was in South Carolina on January 15th. So dad moved down. Mom and my brother did not come for two more weeks uh, to make sure they had to get some things settled with the house and they moved down. And then I didn't come for three more weeks after that because uh, I was playing uh, on our uh, my school basketball team and we were having a great season. So I lived with the neighbors until our season was over and then moved. Not going to miss, you know, not going to move in the middle of the season. So uh,
0: yeah, we, were, we
1: were an athletics family, you know, from the get go. Um, and then I, I went, actually went to Appalachian State as a freshman in college to try to walk on the basketball team uh i have it's an interesting you know i have a football body i'm a bigger guy i have a football body i was probably better at baseball but i loved basketball and i wanted to wanted to play and, and i had come come into contact with bobby crimins for some recruiting and basically coach Kremins told me if i could get into appalachian he'd let me walk on but i had to get in and on my own and all that stuff. So I get into app, and that's the summer that Bobby Crimmins left Appalachian and went to Georgia Tech.
0: Georgia Tech. So Bobby said, thanks, but no thanks. I'll give you that, but I'm going to GT. When I
1: went into the basketball office at Georgia Tech, the new coach was Kevin Cantwell, and it was Bobby's assistant, and we knew each other a little bit. And I walked in, and I said, hey, coach, you know, here for the walk, you know, get up my stuff. Where's the walk-on tryouts? What do we need to do for weight room and all that stuff? And he looked at me, and he goes, yeah, no, you were Bobby's boy. I don't need you and i'm like well can i be a manager can i well, I'll, I'll do something i want to stay involved and he goes yeah no we don't need you so um you know that kind of changes your perspective a little bit about school you said, uh, I, thanks I was, for making me feel good about myself <laughs> yeah so uh, i just stayed at app finished a year at app and then i transferred from there back to Furman here in greenville uh, i knew i wanted to teach i knew i wanted to coach and, um, you know, a Furman degree was going to have a little more value here in town. And uh, so I came back to Furman and then I made it my at, at that point, you know, I knew I wasn't a player. I, I was, you know, I was a year out of it already. and I knew I wasn't going to play. So I made every effort at that point to start figuring out how am I going to teach? How am I going to coach? and Really begin to work on my craft even that early to try to make sure I was ready for my first job.
0: So. Well, that's it. <laughs> Okay, and so where's your first job?
1: Well, so I go to Eastside High School. uh, Then I come out of Furman, and they want me to do my student teaching at Wade Hampton High School. Well, Eastside and Wade Hampton are bitter rivals.
0: rivals.
1: And I told my my professor, I said, no, 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 no. I'm an Eastside guy. I'm not going to Wade Hampton. And he goes, the spot we have for you is Wade Hampton. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And he said, well, if you'd like to wait an entire year, We can wait another year and get you a, a, another spot at a different school, but you're just going to be a year behind. And I'm like, so Wade Hampton, huh? I guess I'll take the Wade Hampton position. And I was on campus for two or three days and fell in love with the place. I mean, school is school. It doesn't really matter where you are. Kids are kids and they're great. And so you just fall in love with the place. And uh, so I started there and um, you know, the, the whole, you know, all of our NIAAA stuff and all the legal duties that we do, and all the things that you know, you 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 need to hire quality coaches and train coaches and things like that. So I had a couple of things very early in my career that taught me the value of of being prepared and 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 stuff like, for example, I'm supposed to coach uh, defensive line on the football team, uh, and my. Um, athletic director calls me one afternoon and tells me congratulations and I'm like for what and he goes congratulations you're the volleyball coach <laughs> and I'm like does it matter to you that I don't know anything about volleyball and he said no you're the last one hired I can't find a volleyball coach tag you're it and I became the volleyball coach and I knew nothing I mean I can tell you how good a volleyball coach I was I was terrible I was a terrible I didn't know anything and I thought you coach <laughs> girls the same way you coach boys and you coach volleyball the same way you coach football because I was 22 and dumb and didn't know anything. Exactly. You know, and the second thing he did to me during basketball season was I was supposed to take the van with my JV basketball team and he stops me and throws me a bus key and says, no, you're taking the bus. You've got to take the, the girls, cheer, the, the JV cheerleading team and the varsity girls basketball team with you. And I looked at him and I said, does it matter to you that I've never driven a bus before? <laughs> and he said, no. And it was a three speed in the floor, you know, big old bus. And when I got to the, the place was 30 miles away, one of my parents had followed us up. There was screaming at me when I got out of the bus. Did you not know you had a flat tire on the back? And I'm like, it's a dually. It was okay. It I was didn't so dually. <laughs> right. I mean, those are the things that, you know, we used to could get away, quote unquote, get away with those things 30 years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: But we shouldn't have been doing those things. And, and so, you know, a lot of times when we teach the, the, the NIAAA classes and we start talking about liability and, and, and legal duties of the coach, I have some very uh, legitimate examples of things we shouldn't do that happen, you know. But that was my first job was at Wade Hampton. And uh, then I, I got a head coaching job three years in at Rock Hill High. And uh, I took an interim job. My contract had uh, temporary, in red letters at the top of the contract. I was 25 years old. It was the seventh largest school in the state. They had had two coaches in three years. I was going to be the third coach in four.
0: So, Rock, let me get this straight. Rock Hill is not great. It's up suburban Charlotte. Correct. Correct. Okay.
1: And, uh, I mean, Tammy and I were married. Our daughter was um, less than a year old. And I took the job, even though it said temporary on it. And the superintendent asked me, he said, now, do you understand what this means? I said, yes, sir. He goes, well, let me spell it out to you. Lose and you're gone. (laughs) Uh, Win and you're a bad teacher and you're gone. Win and we don't like you and you're gone. Win and you're a good teacher and we like you, we'll consider you. And I was, you know, confident enough in myself. I said, let me sign. And he's like, I, how could you do this? And I'm like, at 25, I can take this risk. You know, I feel like I, I can, I feel like I'm a good coach. I don't think you want four coaches in five, you know, five years. I think I can do mm-hmm. it. And uh, I trust, I know I'm a good teacher. I know I'm a good coach. I trust myself. And uh, I'm going to take the job. And I signed that agreement. And my first day of teaching there was like Tuesday after Labor Day. We won our first game, 103 to 48. Uh, we won seven of the first nine games.
0: He called and, and said, we're keeping you.
1: And <laughs> when we came back from Christmas, they handed me a full-time contract. I didn't have to wait for the rest of the year. They knew, you know, they, they saw that I could teach, I could coach. And, um, you know, sometimes you bet on yourself mm-hmm. and uh, we stayed there three years and had a great time within three years, but, uh, it was, a, we needed to move, uh, for benefit of our family. So we came back to Greenville and I actually coached a year of, um, professional basketball, minor league basketball. It's great. Um, but not team oriented, you know, minor league is about giving my shots to get me my points, to get me my,
0: get me, my next level. To get me out of here. And you don't yeah. have to deal with things. And, uh, I get it.
1: You know, I, I love coaching guys that you didn't have to worry a whole lot about fundamentals. You can get really, really technical, but I hated the fact that it wasn't a team and I wanted to get back into high school. And so I took a, a very small private school job for four years and then the opportunity to go back to Wade Hampton came and I took that and I was there for 19 years. And then the opportunity now that I'm the district athletic director for Greenwood County Schools came and I've been here now six.
0: So a lot of gray
1: hair to show all those moves.
0: You know. Well, that's awesome. I uh... I'll just get off track for a moment. So you're telling me since <clears throat> you're a bus driver now that had we been in more trouble on the Valpo bus, you know what I'm talking about, that you actually could have taken over for Sam Rasmussen.
1: I could take over, but I have a valid CDL now. Yes, sir. I have a commercial license to drive the bus. I'm good.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right. All right, D. tell us now some of the people who have been the most influential in your life, some of your mentors, share with our audience.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when that question comes up, it's and it's somewhat cliche, I think, for a lot of us. But, uh, you know, my dad uh, was my first coach and dad's not a professional coach. Uh, dad's the little league coach. Right. Uh, he was my first little league coach. He was my first basketball coach. Um, and I think my dad is the coach that every little league kid, every little league parent should want to have their kid have. You know, dad would look at a kid and he'd say, what position do you want to play? And, you know, and a little left-handed kid runs to second base. And, you know, left-handed kids don't usually play second base.
0: Exactly. And Dad
1: would say, okay, I'll teach you to play second base, but let me also teach you to do this and this and this. And, you know, he let, he let kids um, explore a little bit at, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old when they're, you know, he tried he to teach everybody the basics. Everybody got a chance to stand on the mound and throw the ball. Everybody got a chance to be the catcher. Everybody got. I mean, he tried to teach the game, um, you know, to all to all of us kids. Uh, and so, you know, while he's never been a professional coach, he's a coach. And sure. I learned from that to to you know give kids opportunity and don't pigeonhole kids just because the tallest kid on the comes out for basketball doesn't mean that kid's a center. You know, and the heaviest kid doesn't necessarily have to be an offensive lineman. You know, their their positions. That that kids feel that are they're not necessarily their body, you know. You just you you just make sure the kid gets the great experience. So, in a lot of ways, it was dad. Um, I, I, a guy that a lot of people probably never will have heard of is a guy named Pete Goddett, and Pete Goddett was an assistant coach at Duke. And I met Pete when I was a senior at Furman, and he had come down to scout a game. Uh, Furman was playing Wake Forest. I was working in the sports information department as a student, and I saw Pete's name on the list, so I went by to make sure I spoke to him and let him know I was a Duke fan and and all that. And Pete looked at me and he said, um, "Have you ever been to our coaches' camp?" And I said, "Well, I'm just a, I'm just a student, you know. I'm not a coach yet. I'm just a student." And he goes, "That means you can't come." And I thought about it, and I'm like, "Well, no, sir. I mean, you know." He goes, "Come to our coaches' camp." And he handed me his card, and he said, "Send me a, you know, send me a note." And so I go, I send him a note, and they mail me an application to come to the coaches' camp. So the next year, I go to the coaches' camp, and at the coaches' clinic, he asked me about working camp the following summer. The coaches' camp was in uh, October. He said, "You want to work camp this summer?" And I'm like, "I, I don't even have a team. I don't have a job yet. I'm just." He goes, "That means you can't work camp." <laughs> you know, and I was putting restrictions on myself because I was just, uh, mm-hmm. just a beginning teacher, not ever, not, you know, I was, I put restrictions on myself at that point. And, and he, he said, come on and work camp. So I go work camp. And back then at basketball camp, you know, that's the days that you showed up on Sunday and you stayed till Friday and it was
0: mm-hmm. morning
1: stations and afternoon stations and, and all those things. Right. Every night we'd go to the Hall of Fame room at Duke and coach Gaudette would put on a coaching clinic for okay Hutch Hunter tomorrow you've got the ball handling station and here's how I want to teach I want you to teach ball handling okay Daryl Nance you've got rebounding here's how I want you to teach rebounding and he would go through step by step I mean to the most minute detail of how he wanted that station taught so that every kid that paid Probably what they were paying back then was 300 bucks. Sure. Got $300 value out of that camp. Right. And, and I think back on that, the learning experience I had at that camp with, with the clinics that Coach Gaudette put in built my coaching foundation. Right. And, and from that, I got to meet Coach K and, you know, I got to meet all the, I mean, I've, I worked Duke's camp for 30 years following that. And the first year I got that job at Rock Hill, uh, I took my kids to the coach's clinic and you can still, you can still take kids back then. And we drove up. I think I had five kids in the car with me. We drove up. And when I walked in the first guy that I saw was Tommy Amaker and Tommy and I had been, been good friends. And when Tommy walked by, he said, Hey coach, how you doing? And the kids went, oh, that's Tommy Amaker. Uh-huh.
0: Right?
1: Well, Tommy knew me. And so by him knowing me and speaking to me, that immediately kind of validated me to them as their rookie head coach. Mm-hmm. and then pete comes up hey daryl how you doing and then we go meet coach k and coach k says hey daryl how you doing because i'd worked camp for three years already and he sa- he says get out of the way he pu- he literally like pushed me out of the way and said i want to talk to your kids and uh he's like all right is he teaching you right the, the right fundamentals is he teaching you how to play defense is he running that motion offense does he give you freedom to- and all that and they're like yes sir yes sir yes sir he goes good he's doing what we've taught him up here I I mean at that point I was golden with those kids right and and it was because those guys helped validate me you know and I look back in my athletic director career when I got became an athletic director there were there were similar guys who did that for me right I mean I've said this many times and you've probably heard me say this that the first time that Bruce Whitehead at an NIAAA meeting when we're kind of passing by and he said hello Daryl and, and I'm like, Bruce Whitehead knew my name. I mean, I was a grown man, right? Yeah. But our executive director at the time knew my name. And so there you know, there are things like that that happened. Obviously, you know, I mean, my first clinic, my, or the first time I went to the national conference, you'd already been going for years, you know? And, and I say this, I've said this with as much humility as I can about that first conference. When you go to the banquet or you go to the luncheon and you see the awards up there and you see the people's names and you read in the program what they've done and you hear the PA guy describe their career, I sat there and went, I want to be one of those guys. Not to win an award, not to get my name up on the board. I wanted to be good enough at my job that people trusted me to run that clinic or be that on that board to, to speak at a convention or what I wanted to be good enough. Well, so what that taught me was, all right, you got work to do, right? I mean, this this version of you is okay, but you're going to have to have another version of you to get there. And so, I mean, I think it was, I mean, there are those types of things. I mean, if I could, my dad, coach Goddad, coach K who invested in me, those guys like that you know, guys like yourself, guys like Mike Blackburn, guys like, uh, um, you know, obviously Bruce Whitehead and, you know, even, even Bob Canaby. when Bob Canaby was with the Federation, he came to visit in South Carolina and he was going to be our speaker and he's sitting at a table by himself. Okay. Cause he didn't know anybody. Nobody knew who he was. Yeah. First time he'd been to South Carolina and John Carlisle told me, he said, go over there and sit with him. Go over and talk to him. And I'm like, that's Bob Canaby. I don't, you know, they said, you know, the big dogs. Yeah. Well, I go over and sit down with Bob Canopy. And we just start talking. And, you know, he speaks and we, I gave him some candy and whatnot. You know, a week later, I get a shirt in the mail. from. I get a, a box from Bob Canopy. It's a shirt that he's sending me from NFHS. Hey, thanks for your friendship. You know, have a great year and things like that. And those are things that, that I try to tell my ADs and young ADs when I teach classes and things like that. You don't really get anywhere unless you kind of put yourself out there. You got to be a little bold. You know, um, when I go to a lot of meetings, I don't go sit at the table with the South Carolina uh, folks. I'll go sit at a meeting with you. I'll Mm -hmm. go sit at a meeting with somebody from another state. I go sit at a table that I'd never sat at before one time in September. And who do I sit with but Melvin and George's from Hawaii? Sure. You know, and then all of a sudden, I've never met these guys before, but now we're talking. And through that relationship, we've developed two great new friends, had the opportunity to go and speak in the Hawaii convention. Um, I mean, you know, you've got to, I think, to get the best out of it, you've got to, obviously, you got to invest in yourself. But you got you got to go talk to other people and engage with other people. And that's how you get that new mentorship-type mentality, I think.
0: I like that answer. I just want to follow up quickly, and obviously – you described it maybe the best that I've heard of all of our guests. But until you go to that national conference, until you have that network of NIAAA people, it's hard even for people in your state to understand. You try to explain it to them, and they they look at you like that's not that's not really how it is, and and, right. and that right. is how it is. Right.
1: I would and, tell my kids in class. From time to time you know I'd say well I w- I'm going here I'm going there. Well, how do you go there how do you know these people I said I've got two two things that I've done that have, that have put me in touch with people all over working at Duke's basketball camp you meet coaches from all over the world I mean people come in from all over the world to work that camp all over the country obviously and then the NIAAA and I would say you cannot ask me of a state that I cannot tell you there's somebody from that state that I know that literally, I could pick up the phone and say, "I've got this issue. Can you know, can you help me?" Or, "Hey, I'm gonna go on vacation. What should I need? Where do I need to go in your in your state or whatever?" And and the kids would always like, "Prove it. I'm like, Name a state. Utah. Mark Hunter next. <laughs> you know, Jamie.
0: Right, Rich.
1: There it you didn't go. matter. Right. And you start you, going you down. Can you tell them
0: about the time that we spent this couple of days down in Zion and. Yeah. yeah I go. mean, I could listen. I've,
1: I've been in Zion National Park with, with Mark and, you know, Mark and Deb Hunter. That, you know, the, just the, it's just the relationships. You know, and our friend Jeremy talks about how uh, connection trumps communication, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we all communicate, but that in our AAA family, man, there's a connection there that uh, that, that we have, and our state folks need to see that they need to get there and, and start building that network. Um, of, of, and, it, and that helps too to have a broader view of what's going on, sure right? It Plus it Oftentimes, helps build it. ADs are so silo oriented. I'm in my mm-hmm. silo, I've got to take care of my stuff. And, and they don't look for the bigger picture even among their region or their, their section or whatever, because um, they're, they're they're somewhat narrow focused. You start looking beyond that, you can solve a lot of issues.
0: Absolutely. And, and what I found is we're starting to see after years and years, the more people we get involved at the national, now we're starting to get that. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but that national feel with some of the Utah people and the Utah people are telling, Oh, there's no way I'd miss that Utah conference where they, they maybe weren't saying that six, seven years ago. Right. So I hear you. And that's, that is so well said. Let me, Switch gears and talk about some NIAAA things. Before we get heavy into that, I want to ask you to share with our audience about the time you and some, and we'll just name, we'll just leave the NIAA members unnamed, about the time that you were up in the quarterback club at Lucas Oil Stadium and wound up on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium. This would have been probably what, 10 years ago in the 2011 conference? It was
1: 2011 uh we were at the president's uh, reception and we were pretty much given very strict uh instructions to go up to the convention to the room the quarterback club and down and and somebody i don't know somebody said i wonder what it would like to be on the field man it'd be great to see what it's like on the field and and there wound up being a, a group of folks that kind of migrated their way through some hallways and stairwells and maybe some do not enter places or something and wound up leaping over a a guardrail to get down onto Lucas Oil Field. That in and of itself was juvenile and and, dangerous enough, but to then to take a whole bunch of pictures and post them online of your own guilt was probably the least intelligent thing that group of people did. Yet it's still one of our favorite pictures
0: absolutely For that
1: unnamed group of people who did that other than me who just admitted it
0: you know? and an unnamed group an unnamed executive director uh, possibly Bruce Whitehead who actually was our guest last week was not happy with the ringleader who shall remain nameless That's a, definitely remains nameless yeah all right let's let's talk about a couple other things from South Carolina before we get to the niAAA full-time mm-hmm. I want you to tell our audience because I have experienced as an assistant with my son-in-law, not really experienced because I don't do much with that team except for keep him away from getting flags on the sideline. But I was with the Utah Falcons. You actually saw us play once in Rock Hill, I believe. Right. I had uh, We had four undefeated regular seasons, but uh, two national championships. But I want you to talk about that magical 29-0 and season because that those things just don't happen very often.
1: Right, right. Well, you've, you've had a
0: couple of opportunities
1: to be with that with your, with your son-in-law. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you look back on it, and, and sometimes I still wonder if it really happened. Um, you know, I know that the night after we won the state championship game, I disappeared at the house, and Tammy came to find me, and she's like, what are you doing? And I was watching the tape of the game. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm just trying to make sure it really happened. I mean, it was yeah. such a dream season, but to have fifteen uh, boys, teenage boys, who got along so well, committed themselves, and accepted their role, accepted the entire journey, and and then for us to to complete an undefeated season and win a state championship, uh, I mean it, it it's a it was a really special special thing, but. You know, the thing that a lot of people would see, uh, you know, you're in the newspaper and you get all the headlines and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And then you win and then you get the trophy and you get the ring. And, you know, there's a, there's a little plaque right there and there's a ball up there and there's a trophy and all that stuff, right? I mean, there's some, some memorabilia that comes with it, right? Sure. The, the amount of work that goes in behind it, um, the four years leading up to that, Because when that core group of kids moved in, came in as freshmen, I told my wife, I said, if these, if these kids stick together, if they grow, mature, go in the weight room, allow themselves to be coached, we're gonna win a state championship. Because we knew that with there were seven kids, okay, that came in uh, as freshmen. And there was a definite point guard. There was a definite shooting guard. There was two great wing, athletic wing kids. There was a big kid that could be a good post player. There was another athlete kind of kid. And there was another kind of post. I said, if these kids stay together. Well, as it turns out, two of those kids didn't stay together and moved on to other sports. One became a college football recruit. One became a college baseball recruit. So they kind of felt but when those two fell out, two other kids did come in and grew and became the same seven core, right? But as juniors, they struggled. They competed with one another. You know, what we say all the time is every team's going to have its enemies, but the enemies can't be within their own locker room. Mm-hmm. You're going to have that opponent that's out to get you, but it can't be inside your own locker room. And as juniors, it was in, their own, it was in our own locker room. And we, we, we struggled to a, a poor year. We were – I think a game over 500, maybe, we just didn't have a very good year. We had loaded with talent, but they couldn't get it together. And at our end-of-the-year meeting, I looked at our point guard, and I said, you know for a fact that this game, I tried to get your attention and wanted you to run a certain play, and you literally turned your head away to not listen to me. I know you did it. You know you did it. Your team knows you did it. Because you didn't want to run my play, you wanted to throw the ball to your brother so your brother could be the hero. And I said, if that's the way that we will never win if that's your mentality, this team can't survive that way. And I'm just I'm just letting you know that we're we laying it all on the table, right? We, you have to tell the truth. Improvement starts with the truth, right? And he, he didn't really want to acknowledge it at that moment. I said, all right, so the season's over. This meeting's over. Uh, here's our summer schedule, our spring schedule. This is what we're going to do. But there's a lot of growth that has to happen in this group before we can move forward. And I left the meeting, went to my office, and I was looking at my computer five minutes later, and this hand comes in from, from the side. I just see this hand, and I turn and look, and it's my point guard. And he's got his hand out like to shake my hand. And I shake his, I shook his hand and he goes, you're right. He said, I'm sorry. All I really want to do is win. I just want to win. I said, well, now we can, now we can, if you're committed to winning and you can be the leader of this team, which I think you are, I know you are, we can win. And from that moment we began to, that's really the day. The end of the previous season was the day we won the state championship. When he accepted his role, accepted what he had done, and knew that, it, that we had been disrupted, you know. So we did all the summer work. We lifted weights. We did the summer schedule. We, we blew everybody out in the summer. We knew we were going to be good and all that stuff, right, because now we got it. We really got it. So we go to our first – we, we cut the team, we go to our first meeting and we're going to do our goal session. And I've got them in the locker room and I said, okay, we're, we're going to talk about our goals for the year. What's our first goal. And my point guard says, go undefeated. You know, so I've got the pen ready to write <laughs> yeah. on the board. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That's, that's a really good goal. Yeah. I understand. But let's, let's do, it. he goes, no, we're going undefeated. And I'm like, that should be the goal. We're going undefeated. Anything else? And then one of the kids says, "Well, we should win the the preseason tournament." And another one says, "We should win the the Christmas tournament." then we should win the region. And then we should win. Like, well, guys, if we go undefeated, you said if we're you're undefeated, do all- you
0: have all those.
1: And so the next kid says, "You know, if we're going to be undefeated, we have to be the best defensive team around. Best defense. All right. Well, what does that mean? We need to do, limit our opponents to this and this and that." And then they, they got into the weeds of, hey, this detail, this detail, this detail, and we have to sacrifice for each other. And when the kid who said that said we're going to sacrifice for each other and we're not going to take a day off and we're not going to make an excuse, I mean, that was like, like right, close the book, we're ready to go. Hmm. And we win our first three games, we win the preseason tournament, and I looked my assistant coach looks at me and he says, what do you think? I said, nah, I thought we'd have played better. I mean, right? I mean, you're 3-0. and You win a tournament, and, and you still think you can do better, right? And my assistant coach says, well, we're doing the same old thing, so what do you expect? And I, I mean, Mark, if he'd have hit me with a two by four, it couldn't have made a bigger difference. Our kids had made a difference. The, the kids are changing their attitude, but we hadn't really changed our practice plan, our practice schedule. And I thought, holy cow, I haven't changed. We haven't changed as a staff. And I'm a guy who scripted our practice and we did this and this and this and this, you know, and I knew I've got 30 years of practice plans and I know what I'm going to do. And the next day when we went to practice, I think on Monday we went to practice and they're like, where's the practice plan? I said, there isn't one. And they were like, what happened? Did you forget? I'm like, no, I didn't forget. We're not going to follow the the, the agenda, the script so much of, well, on the eighth day we do this, and then on the ninth day we do this. We're going to let the players have a little more decision-making in it, ask them what they really wanted to do. And and I gave them a little more – they were so many seniors, and they were so good that I gave them more ownership of what practice looked like. The problem with that was I had to limit the amount of scrimmage time we did because they were going at each other. I mean, they were really, really good. And you're that deep. They're going hard. We had to limit the scrimmage time. Um, and at that point, I became the best bus driver around because I got them to all the games, and got them loose. and You know, I mean, they they would have won it without me.
0: Um, I'm not sure yeah. that's the case, but that's, well, I mean. I mean. We, we,
1: we made the adjustments necessary. And, you know, the ring, you know, you get that state championship ring. That's great, Right. What's on the outside of the ring is, you know, we were 29-0. We were state champions. We were the number one ranked team in the state and all that. That's great. But we had something engraved on the inside of the ring that only we knew about at the time. And to me, that was the more valuable part of it because we talked about you have an expectation. So our expectation was to win. Our expectation was to win the state championship. Our expectation was to, to really go at this hard. Well, if you're going to do that, then you have to prepare that way too, right? And, and I'm a big guy on preparation and having a plan and all that stuff. So what's actually engraved on the inside of the ring, and we've shared this now with folks, is the preparation met expectation because we really changed the way we prepared, and we prepared to 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 be that team and to have that season. But it wasn't a one-time thing. It had been building for years to get us to that point. know.
0: Yeah. That's very good. And that like you mentioned, years from now, those kids will remember they were undefeated, but there's so much more to being that teammate. Yeah. yeah. To, to all those stories that go with it that they'll remember that goes so much further beyond basketball. So that's well said. I want you to tell our audience about the NIAA cohort. And uh, I say your involvement. So I'll just because the title of this will be founder of the cohort when I, when I put it up on the, uh, when I put it up on the web. So I, yeah. this is a big thing. So I spent a few minutes and talk about that because I think this has been a game changer. I appreciate that. So five or six,
1: I'm going to say five years ago, maybe six years ago now. Um, and, and listen, I love the I, the LTI courses. Uh, they're all great. Um, but I, I was actually telling Bruce Whitehead at a section three meeting, I said, you know, I, I, I love them all. You can learn a lot of elements of leadership in a four hour training, but I want, I, think, I want to go deeper. I want to challenge myself a little bit deeper. And I wonder if there's a way we could do like a year long study. If we could develop some type of like executive level course or something to do like a year long study. And Bruce was sitting in the front seat of the car. I was sitting in the back seat of the car and he just kind of leans over his shoulder and he says, then do it, create it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if one of your mentors says, do it, create it, I'm going to start working on it. So I started working on the concept of what would a year long group look, you know, what would that really look like? And, um, you know, our, our, most of our courses involve a, a manual, a book of some sort. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to write a manual and we're gonna create some exercises that we'll do to to do this this leadership cohort development uh, or year long LTI. And I started writing and I realized really quickly that I talk okay, but I don't write the same way. You know, I mean, you can talk to yourself and try to write it down. It doesn't sound the same, it's hard to write. Uh, My wife and I tried to figure out a a way that it would work for us is that I would would go into my office at home and, and stay in there for 30 minutes and write for 30 minutes, and that was all I would do. And then I'd come out, and I, that might work once a week because then I'd get in there and look at what I'd written and I'd rewrite it and rewrite it. And you know, so anyway, to make a long story short, I, I did develop an outline. I, I wrote about two and a half chapters, and I shared that with a couple of people and said, What do you think? And, and one of the, a very young AD looked at me and said, Yeah, that doesn't do me any good. And I was kind of, a, I was a little bit offended, you know, I've got a lot of work mm-hmm. in this and you're a young AD and with that AD to said, look, most of my learning in college was online. I need something by the time you print that book, it's likely going to be old news. I need something that's quicker, faster. And that's when the light bulb went off of doing a cohort, an online cohort. And so we, we figured out how to use Canvas as the model we use, the, the LMS we use. And we started putting in, you know, a, here's a January module, a February module, go all the way down. And tried to, you know, got the board, started looking at the NIAA board to approve it. And the board, they had some questions. So we, I created a three month module for the board to do, uh, to give them some practice with it and see what it would, would really do. And the first thing I asked them to do was to come up with a quote uh, or, or a favorite saying of theirs and why it was their favorite saying and how that quote or saying had had kind of morphed into their leadership style. And the stuff they put was phenomenal, right? I mean, it went from the, as, as, as conservative maybe as, uh, uh, you know, a, a Bible verse even to some, you know maybe a John Wooden quote to something else, right? And then the second month I had them do uh, after the the event that happened in, in in Florida, the Stoneman Douglas event mm-hmm. the year before, students were saying they were going to have a national walkout, a national day of uh, of you know protest on on behalf of that event, which I, I totally get. But at the same time, when you announce, "Hey, we're all going to walk outside," you could leave yourself open to another attack. So I asked the the group, "How would you?" My the the that month's assignment was, while you want your students to be engaged and have an opinion how do you manage that versus safety you know you want them to take a stand you want them to to have a voice but you don't want them to go outside and be unsafe at the same time how do you mesh that and then the third month was a fun you know just a fun thing and they came back and said yeah you need to do this and so, so essentially my wife and I sat down and I said, okay, I want to think about this. And she goes, what's the answer you're looking for? You know, like a good test maker would do, you you think about the question and what the test is, what the answer you want. And we wrote out basically the, you know, 11 months worth of assignments and had one month that was flexible for a current event. If something weird happened, we could move them around and, um, announced it. And, um, I think we had space for 15 people. And I think the 15 slots filled up in seven minutes when it went live. There were about 80 to 100 people that responded within 30 minutes. They had to just shut the link down. Uh, So we did the pilot three years ago. uh, And then we had the, uh, the second year, we did one course. Last year, we did two courses. This year, we're doing two courses. And this coming year, uh, we, we could do, we're definitely doing two. We may do three or four. It just depends. Uh, but we're kind of developing that. Lead. We're continuing to develop the leadership course where the people who sign up for that course, they go through a year long of kind of who they are, what their strengths are, how they relate to their staff, uh, the things they're doing to build their staff and their teams, and things like that through the end of the year and each month kind of builds on the next month of hopefully by the end of the year you can see a year's worth of growth a year's worth of contributions of of assignments and the way that they have expanded their leadership expanded their staff given kids opportunity to grow coaches you know really to, to to leap forward in that and then the second model we have is a mentor model so it's for younger or less experienced ADs uh two to seven years generally uh and we put them in a cohort with a mentor again with a, a a more um a closer mentor and um each month they share their growth modules and what they've done and work with their mentor to um you know make them stronger in and what they do for their staffs so um there, there's plenty of ideas moving forward. We've got you know many cohorts that we can specialize in certain things like legal issues or budget issues or uh, things like that. We've got longer cohorts that we want to look at, like maybe doing a, a strategic plan for your school, like a QPA plan. Uh, we've got a middle school uh, plan. We've got coaching your coaches, uh, a number of different models that we're working on and developing. We're kind of keeping it slow so we grow at the right, right rate, but uh, it really has been a, 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 it's been very rewarding for the ones who've taken it. Everybody's given us great feedback on it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud that it's, it's there. Uh, but as I said, it's, it's, a uh, it's an NIAAA product. I was just, I just tried to make, make it for something that I, I thought I would benefit from it. And I do, I'm on all the calls. I don't try to you know, they, there are mentors who run each one. I, I was the, mm-hmm. I'm just behind the scenes on it at this point, but I still get on all the calls. I read all their assignments work because every time I read some of their stuff, it, it continues to motivate me to be better and do more. And every now and then you borrow an idea from somebody.
0: Yeah. Well, all I know is Jamie couldn't say enough about it. He was in the first cohort. And right. of course, I know he's helped you out on the second, but I know, uh, Mike O'Connor and Trevor Wilson were in that second one. And I, I know we have some Utah people in the third one. And so I, yeah. I just can't say enough about it. I realize it's an NIAAA program, but like everything in the NIAAA, the idea came from somebody. So you're to be congratulated. I was hoping that uh, you and Tammy possibly spent some time at the lake house hatching some of these ideas where it's That's nice where it and occurred. quiet and peaceful.
1: Yeah, we, we had actually gone to the lake house in February it was, you know, it was cold and, and, uh, we, we got away from everything here and it was, uh, basically a Saturday where it was cold and rainy and we just sat at the kitchen table and just just started hammering it out. And I would say probably 60, 60 to 70% of it was that one day that we just kept, you know, grinding on idea. Well, it really wasn't grinding that much. A lot of it was just kind of organic. It just started happening. And, um, uh, Yeah, I mean, what what I want to
0: follow up on, which has nothing to do with this, is when you say cold in January in South Carolina, I want to know what temperature that is because I don't (laughs) think it's the same as cold in Utah.
1: No, I mean it's it's uh, you know high thirties, you know.
0: (laughs) High thirties. It's not not that minus. It's not that minus eight, or for our good friend Todd Olson in North Dakota, it's not that minus forty. No, we don't,
1: we don't get that. We'll, we'll get one or two days where, you know, we'll have a little ice, a little snow, but.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, following up with the cohort, then I want, I want your two suggestions that you'd share with a new AD. Now I'm not going two to seven years, but I would say a new AD is, is one to four years. And in all of your experience, what two things would you say to a new athletic director to let them know that you've got to do these two things in order to be a success? Um, and that's, you know, I, I'm
1: a big, and it's hard to narrow down to two, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to narrow down to two. Um, my, my most recent experience with my new ADs, and I've got 15 high schools and 20 middle schools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a bunch of new ADs. Uh, the, the biggest concern they seem to come in is a, is a management concern involving budget, right? <laughs> They're worried about the budget. And I, I I always tell them the, the budget is not the problem. The budget is the budget. The budget doesn't have any friends, right? There's only so much money you have. And it doesn't matter if your buddy's the coach and needs new uniforms. If there's no money, there's no money. And so the, you know, the, the issue with the budget is the, the budget just has to be the budget, you know? And so don't, don't get lost in that. There, there's a way to, there, you can raise other money, you can do other things, but your school budget is a very unique thing that doesn't have a friend. It, it has a, it's a management prospect, right? But the second part of that with, with budget is you have to budget your time, right? I mean, you have to set aside time um, in many ways. You, one, you have to set aside time for you to think. You might have to shut the door and turn a light out for 10 minutes for you to think through what the rest of your day is going to look like or what the beginning of your day is going to look like or, or something. But you've got to have a little bit of me time to make sure you're healthy and in the right spot to do the right thing for your coaches, kids, parents, faculty, staff, and all that. You've got to have time to sit with your coaches and work with your coaches. You've got to have time to be with your principal bookkeeper to know what's going in your you know, your SRO, your athletic trainer, your, uh, your plant engineer. Uh, you you there's only so much money and there's only so much time and you have to master that element as a from, from a budget situation right you budget your money you got to budget your time and i think what i've seen of, and and that's really more of a new thing for me because so much change has occurred in our in, in in my county that we've had some issues where people get burnt out really really quick because they don't understand the time and they've gotten behind on their budget or or Whatever, and so that's that's a big issue for me. The other one is, I guess, is is connection. Yeah. Uh, you know, the way you communicate, the way you you can, you know, knowing yourself as a leader, and the fact that you have a primary style, a dominant style, and a dominant communication style, and there are people on your staff that you just think it. And you know, they see it, they I got you, coach. i I can do it. You barely even have to tell them what to do. Well, they have the same communication pattern you do, the same understanding you do. That's fine. There's also people on your staff that it's like you don't they don't get it, and that like they're you're not speaking the same language or they're doing this just to make me mad. No, their style, their communication pattern is a little different, and you're not meeting them where they need to be. Right. And so it's on both parts that you have to understand that. And I think if you're going to be a leader and the athletic director's got to be a leader as a leadership pattern Yes, there's management in what we do, but you've got to be the leader and set the tone. Well, in order to do that, you have to be able to communicate and connect with people, uh, even not in your same style. You know, if I, if you do the color one or the I've seen, I've seen leadership things. You could be a color. You could be a different kind of dog. You could be a different kind of car. You could be a different mm-hmm. direction. I, I don't care. There's a thousand free ones,
0: different kind of Every, cartoon character, <laughs> different cartoon
1: characters, right? Be, figure out who you are and then share that with your staff. Have them figure out what they are. You know, if I look just above my computer right here, I've got a list on my, on my bulletin board right up here of all my athletic directors Uh, and it has their five Gallup strengths, their top five Gallup strengths on it, right? And then the next thing it has is their communication personality. So if if Mark Hunter was one of my guys and I'm getting ready to have a phone call with Mark Hunter, and I mean, if it's just us, you know, just shooting the breeze, that's not an issue. But if I have to call Mark Hunter with a parent complaint of, uh, you know, something that's come in, that's gotten out of the building, I'm going to look up here and I'm going to go gay. Okay. So Mark is consistency, responsibility, relator, learner, uh, individual. And he's a yellow or whatever. Right. I'm going to look at this that I know when I engage you while I might be something different, but if if I come at you with my style and come at you because, Hey, we've got, you're not going to hear it the way it needs to be heard. Right. So, it's, it's easier for me to look at this and go, these are his strengths. This is his communication style. I'm going to meet him at this strength level. I'm going to connect with him where he can hear this. And then we're not at odds. And you're not mad at me, and I'm not mad at you. It's just this thing happened, and we've got to address it. But if I don't do that, then you might get mad at me, or you I might think you're not. You know, we don't need to do that. So my, my two things are, are budget your money and time wisely, but you've got to connect with your people by knowing who you are and your style so you can help have a, you know, a better connection in your, in your building.
0: Very well said, thanks for sharing. Let me finish with this question then, Daryl. What questions should I have asked you that I failed to ask you?
1: What's the best national park?
0: <laughs> okay what is the best national park i know what mine is but i want to know what yours is
1: well i think yours is zion right you're you, you love no, zion
0: not. Zion is second to grand canyon, zion, canyon
1: for me zion is second to grand canyon i'm still partial to glacier
0: there I you really go i really love
1: glacier you know but and zion Glacier's is Right on
0: my list too i mean I,
1: they're all beautiful no i think i think from you know from a from an either an ni or a or or an, uh, a state level you know like you got to get involved. That's the question. Like, how do you You got to invite people along on the journey, right? Uh, it's like going to sit at that table that you've never sat with those people before. You know, Okay, I, I went to a particular thing, and the guy said, okay, Ray, I need a volunteer. So I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't know anybody here. I don't know what they're going to ask me to do. And if he, even if he asked me to dance and I make a fool out of myself or sing because I can't do that, and I make a fool out of myself, I don't know any of these people. It's not going, you know, I raised my hand. Well, I raised my hand and I got put into a a group of three people instead of a group of two people. It's because we had an odd number. Those two people became incredibly good friends of mine. But if I had just sat there on my hands, I'd had maybe one friend. But I raised my hand because, you know, I was in Texas. Nobody knows me in Texas. I'm just going to raise my hand. And now I've got a new friend, Right. And so, you know, I'd say for, for everybody out there who, who's going to listen, somebody invited you on that leadership journey, invite somebody else to go with you on yours. Get them on that leadership journey because you never know what contributions they're going to make to kids and coaches down the line. And, and, and you know, when parents and parents see it, too, your parents knew at Jordan High School, they knew who you were and they know who your son-in-law is. Because of the leadership you guys provided for your, your communities, right? They see it. Invite them on that journey. Man, we can't we can't have enough leaders. We're in a leadership drought in a lot of areas. Invite Absolutely. people on the journey.
0: So very well said. Well, that wraps up another edition of the UI AAA Connection. Once again, our host, or excuse me, not our host, our guest today has been Daryl Nance, CMAA from South Carolina. Thanks, Daryl, for being on the show today. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. And for our listeners, we hope you turn in next week where we'll have another edition of the UI AAA Connection.